we're capturing more data today than we ever had in the past. The challenge with that is, is often that data is very siloed. Oh yeah. How does that fit in to a cohesive, larger vision We will we'll always have enough cash around. Strictly business. Business. Just business. Hi, finance leaders, and welcome to CFO Year, your new favorite finance podcast. I'm Patrick, and I get to speak with experts in building better businesses from the finance function out. Today, I'm speaking with Josh Beaver, Chief Operating Officer and Co-Founder at Overlay Analytics, a modern financial analytics and reporting platform built for mid-market executives. The platform gives leaders a unified overview of their organization and eliminates data silos, thanks to plenty of good automation. Josh also serves as the VP of Corporate Development and CIO at Advocate Publishing. And before Overlay Analytics, Josh was a partner at PwC and held numerous CFO and executive finance roles. We talked about the challenges in creating useful reports from diverse data sources, moving from corporate consulting to a founder role, and what makes a finance professional the right fit for a COO. Today's episode is brought to you by Spendesk, the all-in-one spending solution that puts finance teams in control with 100% visibility into company spend. And by CFO Connect, a global community for finance leaders. Join us at cfoconnect.eu and you can email podcast at cfoconnect.eu with any questions or feedback. Josh Beaver, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Patrick. Excited to be here. Uh, we're really happy to have you. And uh, as always, I think the best place to start this interview is just to have you uh, introduce yourself to the CFO Year audience. Excellent. Thanks, Patrick. Uh, so as you mentioned, my name is Josh Beaver, and I'm currently the Chief Operating Officer at Overlay Analytics, as well as the Vice President of Corporate Development and Planning at Advocate Print and Publishing here in Canada. That was quite a lot, um, <laughs> or just a lot of you know different titles. Why don't we start with the COO role? Sure. Uh, so in my COO role, uh, that's again with Overlay Analytics, which is a fintech financial reporting company. So uh, you know, if any of your users have used Tableau, which I'm sure many have, most I'm certain have used Excel. Uh, we're really striving to be the next iteration of those tools and more importantly, the, the data that flows into them. So uh, at the end of the day, it's it's a financial visualization package, but really, you know, the heart of what we do is the extraction and the modeling and transformation of data leading into those visualizations. So it's based out of Dallas, Texas. Uh, it's one of my former colleagues was the original founder. So I'm a co-founder and CEO of that business today. Wonderful. And, and so obviously, we're talking analytics, you're mainly, I guess, aiming the product at uh, finance teams? I think that's a fair statement. So given my background, and I, I probably should have covered a bit of this in my brief intro, uh, I come from a professional services background. So spent about 10 years at Deloitte. Uh, and then I spent another two years as a partner with PricewaterhouseCoopers here in Canada, uh, as did my co founder, Brian Choup. And so you know, we very quickly realized, you know, the value to middle market companies and really understanding the data. I mean, every company is out there capturing a lot of data. We're capturing more data today than we ever had in the past. 
the challenge with that is, is often that data is very siloed. And so while we're doing a good job of getting the data, we're not doing a great job of being able to actually use that data. And so we're trying to bring to the middle market in an attempt to democratize better decision making a modern data architecture. Uh, you know, so simply put, many of us spend a, a lot of our careers producing reports, be it, you know, a buy side due diligence report, a sell side due diligence report, you know, some form of a state of the union for, for a creditor or a lender. Typically, the first 10 or 12 pages of those reports would always be the same thing. It's really dissecting our way through financial statements and trying to get to the underlying value drivers or, you know, components of distress within the financial statements. And so that's where we started and then working backwards to how do we automate this process so that instead of your you know your fpna your financial planning and analysis teams spending three weeks of every month extracting reports out of your system pushing those reports together through excel you know going out to various departments within the business to get you know information from subledgers we're automating that whole process and so what you end up with is you know a, a centralized data set that's accurate to the penny to your financial statements so it's accurate, it's complete, it's trust, and more importantly, it, it's a set of meaningful tables. So if you take a, a simple enterprise resource planning system such as NetSuite, and let's say that what I care about as either the VP of sales or the CFO or even the CEO is understanding where are my sales coming from? Is it a particular geography? Is it a particular customer? Is it a particular product set? In order to build that raw underlying table I need to perform meaningful analysis, I have to do a whole bunch of joins with different data sets. So all of my customer information is going to be captured in one table. My transaction information will be captured in another table. My SKU information will be in another table. And so I have to go through that process on a repeated basis every time I want to answer the question correctly as to where are my sales changing? Where are my sales coming from? And so really the beauty of the overlay product is that it's automating all of those backend processes. So every night at midnight, it takes another copy of all of the raw reporting tables that are sitting underneath all of your various systems, and it's automatically transforming them into the meaningful tables. And so that allows a CFO or the VP of sales to wake up every morning and simply look at a dashboard and you know very quickly see, oh, this is what happened yesterday. This is how I'm comparing to last year. This is where I'm seeing a, you know, a material change, either positive or negative, against my expectations. So yes, uh, typically our sales process starts uh, with the office of the CFO. That's probably largely because of the background Brian and I come from. Uh, mm. We're certainly comfortable having conversations with you know somebody like you, Patrick, who's quite familiar with CFOs and what they do. Uh, but after we implement at most of our customers, uh, the platform ends up going fairly broadly across the senior executive level. And I, I mean, all of that sounds like music to the ears of, of most of our listenership, I imagine. Um, it, I, I'm going to assume it was sort of born out of the, you going through those challenges yourselves. Uh, absolutely. So, you know, having spent years at, at Deloitte and PwC, really the processes that we've automated are the processes that most of us grew up doing manually. And in doing it manually, typically it was Excel-based. Uh, you know, if you were a, a really tech friendly professional, you might be using Tableau or Power BI or some of the tools that are starting to hit the market today, but it was fraught with error and it was extremely time consuming. And frankly, at the end of the day, most of our clients weren't bringing us in to normalize and massage their data. They really wanted us to be able to provide value added analysis on top of that data. Unfortunately for us, it was difficult to do without first forming that data set. And so, 
you know, we spent years and years and years just doing the stuff manually in Excel. And obviously we knew there had to be a better way. We weren't, you know, naturally tech friendly people. Uh, but as the tools have come to market that are allowing these things to be more readily automated, we knew that this was an opportunity for us to bring this to the middle market. It's not to say that PwC, Deloitte, KPMG can't do this services. They do do these services. But frankly, the resources are so scarce, especially with data engineers and software engineers, that even in those big consulting firms, if you're not one of the top 100 clients, you're probably never sniffing those teams. And so what we wanted to do was really find a way to push that down to the middle market and allow the middle market to catch up and take advantage of some of the technologies that exist out there today. And so we've attempted to you know, do this in a software as a service offering so that allow us to go through the trouble of you know, hiring those scarce resources, keeping those scarce resources entertained and busy on an annualized basis while allowing you to only access them as you need to. So you know, I like to liken it to a high-end car club. I don't need to drive a Ferrari to work every day, but it'd be nice if when I wanted to, I could, but I don't want to do the maintenance of the Ferrari. I don't want to change the tires. I don't want to employ, you know, three or four mechanics that specialize in Ferrari. So that's really what we are. Most mid-market entities, you know, they're starting to encounter complexity. Maybe it's because they've done an acquisition and now they're facing two ERPs. Perhaps it's because they've availed themselves of many of the different SaaS platforms, Salesforce, Stripe, some of these different services that are out there that don't necessarily do a great job of coalescing that data so that it's all in one spot and it's all tying back to their financial statements from an analytics perspective. And that's really where we insert ourselves into the process. So if I'm a business that's you know, 25, 50, $100 million in revenue, I probably don't have sufficient data analytics needs to hire and maintain, you know, two data engineers, two FP&A analysts, a software engineer, and a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of technology tools that will allow me to seamlessly do this. So we're sort of fractionally renting those services out to our clients so that they can you know, have the benefit and the power of the best tools and people in the market without having to bear the full brunt of that cost. If I were a CFO um, and or a CEO and I was thinking, all right, in the next three to six months, we're going to be raising a round. We're going to be going out and, and fundraising. And I, and I realize that due diligence is going to be an issue and I want to get in, in, out in front of it now. Is that the right time to be coming and talking to you guys? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I would tell you that our largest vertical today is within the private equity space. And that's largely because it serves three purposes for private equity. One, it gives them a single unified platform to look at any of the portfolio companies within a portfolio in a mm. systemic way. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it's a single it's a single point of entry into the system. You know, you're toggling between your different companies at the top. You're looking at stuff on an apples to apples or orange to orange basis, which they love. Secondly, it's providing speed to insight which I think is something that a lot of private equity or investor sponsors struggle with, which is, you know, they're, they're stuck in that traditional cadence of financial close, which is okay. You know, July 30th is month end 21 days after that, the CFO is seeing that, you know, his first look at the financial statements for that month and four or five days later, he might synthesize those to a point where he's comfortable sharing them with investors. And so we're closing that gap instead of waiting, you know, 15 to 25 days for month end close process to take place. Again, you can be looking at high-level dashboards on an up-to-the-minute basis. Now, uh, we're all accountants. Most of us listening to this are probably accountants. 
it's going to be closer to a cash basis in a month than it is a true financial close basis. Because again, if you're putting accruals into your system at the end of the month, they're not going to show up in our analytic reports until the end of the month. Because again, we're mm -hmm. tying directly to your financial statements. And more importantly for private equity, and I think for investors alike, what they love about the product is, you know, something I saw coming a lot more than it did in the past in my time at PwC when I was leading corporate finance practice was the concept of vendor-led due diligence. So I'm selling my own company, and as opposed to playing defensive and waiting for prospective purchasers to come in with their due diligence request, and I try and respond to it, they're actually front-running that process and getting ahead of it by getting you know, a trusted third party to prepare a quality of earnings reports on the business that could then be published to a data room. And what we're seeing is that some of our clients are actually using our platform to be the first stop in that data room. Because again, it's got, it ties to the financial statements all the time and it, it's a full and holistic view across the business as long as you've been connected to, the, to your ERP. So if I came in and did an implementation for your business today, but you've been in business since 2003, you're going to see reconciled information within that platform all the way back to 2003. It's a double-edged sword. Uh, it's it's a it's a very honest and it, it's you know it's a nice clear window to look through. So depending on the process you're going through and how much you're sort of trying to massage or normalize that message, maybe you're not comfortable with sharing that level of detail. Uh, but it's certainly a very quick way to put a lot of information into investors' hands. Right. I, I like that idea of uh, maybe. Maybe sometimes not having the clearest, cleanest data and reporting might actually be to the advantage of some for some businesses. That's right. You, uh, the company, did a seed round just last month, September two thousand and twenty-one. Um, I assume you used the product in in that seed round. We did. Uh, so we used the product for ourselves, obviously, yeah. but more importantly. I mean, look, we're a very traditional US-based SaaS company. And so, uh, look, I come from a very traditional corporate finance background. So, you know, changing my mindset towards the venture capital world has been a bit of a change, to say the least. Mm -hmm. uh, the metrics are different. The way that investors are analyzing businesses is just very different than the traditional worlds that both Brian and I come from. So that's been eye-opening, to say the least. Uh, and as far as our product goes, uh, yes, investors were looking at it less from a, we want to understand your financials and more from, you know, how large do we think the total addressable market's going to be? You know, how is the product market fit? What are your customers who use the product saying about the product? So they, they took a very deep dive into the product, recognizing, of course, that, you know, we're a seed stage company. It's, you know, we like to say that it's a minimally viable product today with a very robust roadmap in front of us. So yeah uh, but that was an interesting process going through the seed round well it must it must feel good to to have it done successfully it feels very good to have it done yeah so we're looking forward to that next stage of growth and bringing in lots and lots of people that we need to help us propel this towards you know even greater scale and to execute on that product roadmap are your finance processes stuck in the stone age huge delays long email trails and everything written on paper it's time to evolve. Spendesk gives you automated expense management and smart company cards ready to use on day one. Every team member can spend safely, even while remote. And finance teams save on average two plus days per month on tedious admin. There's no lengthy setup and no training required. Just expense processes that belong in this day and age. Don't be a dinosaur. Use Spendesk. 
What does your role involve? Because I saw, you know, reading in your looking over your LinkedIn bio and, and getting to know you a little bit before we did this, it's it's uh, there's some focus on product design and delivery, which is obviously not exactly corporate finance. Um, how, how are you finding that? It's a change. It's a change in that, you know, again, I, I most of my background has been in large organizations. So, you know, this mm -hmm. is the first time in my career where I'm spending a lot of time thinking and working with marketing folk, thinking and working towards HR, uh, you know, different aspects of an organization, which in the past I, I've taken for granted. There was large organizations around me and I was, you know, crystal focused on what I was doing. But at the end of the day, it's largely still the same, right? So it's sort of an executive role. We're still a client delivery and, you know, timeline driven organization. So we're dealing with CFOs. We're helping them, you know, bridge their data inadequacies. And so it's still very much a client delivery focus. And, you know, my focus on product mainly stems back to my background, which is, you know, I've spent 15 years being a CFO and working with CFOs understanding the type of information they need and more importantly the type of assurances they need so that they actually trust the analysis that they're getting and so you know we like to start with the end in mind and of course we're very responsive to customer needs as they come to us with suggestions or you know changes to the platform but at the end of the day we've got a fairly good roadmap as to where we need to go and we work backwards from there to understand okay this is where i need to end up how do I get the right technical skills around me? How do I get the right technical tools around me to allow us to get there on a consistent, repeatable basis? I asked that question because we we talk a lot with and to CFOs and finance leaders about kind of creating agile uh, professional profiles. You know, not every not every corporate finance person you, you're you're a good example. Not every corporate finance person wants to be in corporate finance for the rest of their lives or just perhaps uh, great opportunities come up and they decide that they might want to, you know, take advantage of those opportunities. I'm wondering now that you're working in product a lot, product design and, and development, et cetera. Um, is, is that, do you think that's a transition that would suit every finance professional or are there certain skills and characteristics that you might have, or that you're happy to discover that you already had um, that would make you better suited for this particular role than the average finance person? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. I, I don't know that that sort of migration towards operations or something outside of core finance is right for every financial professional. Uh, mm. You know, I, I like to think there's sort of, there's two types of accounts out there. There's those of us that maybe are, you know, fortunate enough to end up as CFOs. We're not necessarily the strongest technical accountants. And then there's a lot of very good, strong technical accountants who, you know, they, they love things to balance. They love doing the reconciliations month end process is their jam. That's yeah. not me. Um, so for me, the transition hasn't been overly difficult. And part of that comes back to what I was doing at the firm. So the first years of my career, I worked in corporate restructuring. And so, you know, doing corporate restructuring, working with large PE who are buying companies out of Chapter 11 bankruptcy in the U.S. and doing a number of bolt-ons, you were in operations as much as you were in finance. And so it's been a bit of a natural shift for me. What I would say the biggest challenge for me personally is, is you're working with a different type of, of colleague. So, you know, we grow up, you're, you're working with accountants. We all sort of look, smell and sound the same way. We all are 
typically very type A, very logical. We like things to fit in a box and, and to add up at the end of the day. And, you know, moving towards product and working with designers, working with uh, developers, you know, all of that has been a mindset change for me. And just in terms of the way that, you know, they tackle problems, the way that they see the world, you know, their perspectives on timeline versus quality and, you know, some of these different different things that need to be balanced each day. So, look, very much still a work in progress for me. Uh, I hope I like to think it's going well. Uh, you'd have to ask some of my colleagues whether that's true or not. <laughs> What motivates you most, I guess, in this role, but generally at, at, in, in any kind of role? What would motivate you most when choosing a new role? Yeah, so you probably got a sense of this from my LinkedIn, which is, you know, I, I've had a lot of roles. Uh, so I, typically, for me, I like to chase challenges. So mm. that's my, my background in restructuring. So I really enjoyed that for a long time. It's sort of you know, I think Churchill was famous for saying that there's wartime leaders and there's peacetime leaders. I'm definitely a wartime leader. That's where I'm comfortable. Uh, when things are sort of falling down all around me, that's the environments I like to be in. That's not to say that in any way that's what overlay is. Um, but for for advocate, for Scottsburn, for some of the roles I've played in the past, typically they were heavily distressed. And so I've gone after that knowing that look, this is, I'm here for a good time and not a long time, which is we're going to try and do something really hard in 12, 18, 24 months. And hopefully at that point it settles out and I'll move on to whatever that next challenge might be. So I've always taken challenges. I've always taken roles that people think maybe I'm a little bit crazy to walk away from, you know, a blue chip role towards something that's a lot more risk, but that's sort of the stuff I enjoy doing. Oh, and to turn now to your other role, um, please correct me if I've misunderstood. You're also serving as the VP of Corporate Development and CIO at Advocate Publishing. That's correct. So two very, very different organizations that, that fit well together. And again, you'd really have to cycle backwards through my career to draw the whole narrative together. But so when I left Deloitte the first time I joined Scottsburn, which was a $200 million ice cream manufacturing company here in Canada, the CEO at the time was a gentleman by the name of Jeff Burrows. So we took that organization through a very dramatic operational and financial turnaround. Uh, we refinanced the business and in parallel, we ran a sales process and ultimately sold the business to a strategic acquirer uh, out of Canada. When that ended, that's when I returned to PwC and Jeff joined Advocate, which is a privately owned commercial print and publishing company here in Nova Scotia, Canada. So he's been working there for about three years. I went to PwC and did the corporate finance thing for a couple of years uh, before, you know, Brian finally convinced me to take the leap and join Overlay. Uh, so at the same time I was joining Overlay, I also joined Advocate. So I'm, I'm splitting my time a little bit, which you know, because of time zones works out quite well. Two very different companies on very different trajectories. Obviously, you know, one is FinTech, which is pretty high growth right now. The other is commercial print and publishing, which is a, a mature industry that's, you know, going to require change for us to maintain relevance in the market today. So uh, I'm helping really at the office of the CEO with respect to that business. So I, you know, I, I do help a little bit in the finance department with things such as budgeting, you know, implementing overlay tools to help them with some data analytics. But really serving as, you know, a, a key advisor to the CEO as he seems to diversify his holdings and, you know, where should we invest next? Where should we divest next? Uh, I play that role with them as well. The COO role is that you're serving, you're filling for at Overlay Analytics is, is 
really close, more of a founder role in a way, right? Like that would be the simplest way for me to think about that externally. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Whereas okay. At, at Advocate, it's the exact opposite. So, you know, again, going back to my LinkedIn, you can see that I can get a bit frenetic if I, if I get bored in one place for too long. So it's a very nice balance for me. Uh, you know, one's a family business, one's a venture venture back tech startup, you know, they, they run at very different cadences, you know, when one's peaks, the other's valleys, you know, so it, it keeps things interesting for me. Uh, you know, the owner at Advocates, uh, a phenomenal human being, does a lot for the community, uh, just a great group to be a part of, you know, do they need all of my skill sets for, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week? No, not really. I mean, it, it's a an older business that simply isn't going to move at that pace. Um, but you know, I think he believes that it does benefit from that external perspective. So, you know, everyone's eyes wide open. It's not like they each think that I'm exclusive to the other, but it, it's a balance that needs to be stricken. At times it comes back to bite me. Uh, if two of those, you know, peaks happen in the same week, yeah, those are busy weeks, but for the most part, it's been very manageable. Mm. Are there aspects of the, the more corporate finance, M&A, um, stuff that you spend a long time doing that you miss? It's still a role I largely play with advocate, to be honest. So I sort of, you mm. know, as a key advisor to the CEO, looking at sort of the diversification of his portfolio, uh, I still play a lot of that role there. Uh, to be frank, I, it's much more refreshing to be on this side, I think, than on the professional advisory side. Um, it's a lot easier to critique a deal than to try and push it into the market and defend the deal. So. I wouldn't say there's too much of it I miss, to be honest. If you're enjoying this conversation, then you've got to check out CFO Connect, the global community for modern finance leaders, like the ones on this podcast. We host monthly events and workshops, have a private Slack group for CFOs, and a one-on-one -on -one member matching program. CFO Connect membership is free, but reserved for experienced finance leaders. So if that's you, head over to cfoconnect.eu and apply to join us. To go back to Overlay Analytics uh, for a moment, I'd love to talk a bit more about the, the company itself. More, we've talked about the product a lot, but um, I'd, I'd love to learn more about the company. How many are you at the moment? Today we're 12. And that's spread out across, I guess, three countries. Uh, so we've got three developers who are actually sitting in the Ukraine. Uh, we have the bulk and the nexus of our operations is sitting in Dallas. And there's two of us in Canada. Every founder and leader feels that their company is special. What makes Overlay Analytics special? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, look, here's what we think makes us special is, you know, there's a lot of products in the market that compete at least with a portion of what we're doing. So if it's just on the data extraction side, there's lots of different tools out there that compete with us. If it's just on the data modeling side, there's fewer but still tools that compete with us. And of course, on the data visualization, there's a preponderance of tools that sit in the market. But what makes us different than a lot of those opportunities is that first and foremost a lot of those were tech first and, and when i say that i i mean you know they dealt with the technology limitations first and then they built towards a final solution that they hoped would resonate with c-suite executives and financial executives whereas it went the other way we started with a, a you know a, 
a learned understanding of what uh, you know a modern financial executive needs to power better decision making across an entity. And we worked our way backwards to solve the technical challenges. Mm-hmm. And secondly, you know, it's really for those that want it, there's a lot of white glove service that we can provide. So, you know, if you're a middle market company that's got $50 million in revenue and you're just trying to dip your toes into the water of data analytics, this is a really nice starting spot. You don't actually need to have anybody on your staff that understands what's happening in the background, that knows how to massage data or play with data themselves. We have within our portfolio of products, the ability to take you sort of from cradle to grave. So from data extraction, all the way through to finalized visualizations, which will empower your C-suite to start making better decisions, or at least know where to start asking more meaningful questions. And then as your organization begins to grow, there's a lot of different exit points for us. So we're sharing back all of those reform tables through Snowflake Secure Share, which if you do have an FP&A team or a business intelligence team sitting in your organization, they're hooking directly into the data that we've normalized and validated so that you as a C-suite executive understand, yes, you know, they're pulling their analysis from the same well that I trust because I know it's complete and I can see right here that it absolutely ties to my financial statements. And so bringing integrity and allowing organizations to grow is really what makes us a little bit special and a little bit different than others. And, and of course, you know, like, you know, it gets thrown around a lot in SaaS, but, you know, that concept of trying to, you know, democratize some of these tools, services, mm and skill sets for the middle market, which is often, frankly, just overlooked. Yeah, you're right. That is talked about a lot. And I think if I were listening, uh, it's very clear from this conversation um, that the kind of goal is to take a lot of the work out of it, out of the reporting process for for companies. If I, when you, when you first introduced the tool, I was and if I was in that position, I would have been a little bit worried that I already have this ERP where I spend an awful lot of my time just trying to get on top of it. And now we want to add more things. Um, but you're really, the, the goal is really the opposite, right? It's to, to make that ERP or, or the information coming from all of your different services, whether it's, as you said, Salesforce or HubSpot, et cetera, trying to make all of that information digestible without me having to wade through it all. That's exactly right. Right. So, you know, overlay tongue in cheek. Yeah. You know, it, the idea is that a lot of ERPs do a great job at collecting data or perhaps doing something other than pushing out financial reporting. So I'll use advocate as an example because I'm extremely intimate with it. You know, we use an ERP system called EMS, Enterprise Management System, which is print and commercial print specific. And it does a phenomenal job of managing our workflows within our business. Where it falls short is from an accounting and a sales perspective in pushing out meaningful reporting that can help us drive decisions. What we try and avoid at Overlay is forcing you know, the tail to wag the dog. I don't want you to mm. change your ERP system for the sole sake that you know your finance team isn't getting the reporting out of it that they want from a financial perspective when it might be doing a lot of good for other aspects of your organization. And so, you know, tongue in cheek, you can overlay our solution on top of it without ever touching the underlying architecture of that ERP. And we will enhance your financial reporting in a very short period of time. You saying overlay a couple of times there really, um, I know you said it tongue in cheek, but it makes an awful lot of sense when you actually put it into a sentence like that um, in that example. 
Exactly right. And that's what private equity loves. I mean, most of their strategies is I'm going to invest in a beachhead opportunity and plug in a whole bunch of smaller acquisitions. And typically, you know, part of the reason why they've got to hold on to these investments for seven to 10 years is at a certain point, you're going to have to do a huge ERP implementation across the portfolio of businesses to get yourself in a place where you've got clean financial reporting across the entities so that you can then exit that as one larger consolidated business. And so they like the idea of, okay, you know, perhaps we defer that choice or perhaps we never make that choice because I can overlay this platform on top of it. I can standardize and normalize the financial reporting coming out of it, irrespective of the source system. So now I can run three or four different ERPs. I can forego all of the change management of trying to get, you know, disparate teams across disparate geographies, potentially, you know, normalized into some new ERP, but I can still get the high quality top end reporting that I need. Oh, it makes sense. All right, we're going to turn now to our quickfire questions, um, which we like to do at the end of every episode. And the first is, I think I'm going to know your answer to this one, but uh, we'll find out. The first is, what is one finance tool that you couldn't live without? And please don't say Excel. Well, you're going to force me to be shamelessly self-promotional here, but I'm going to go with overlay analytics. Uh, mm -hmm. Look, I just, I can't imagine going back to a world where I'm trying to export system reports, loading them into Excel, modeling them out, all for the purpose of trying to get to an answer that, quite frankly, is the CFO I should have at the tip of my tongue. Uh, mm. So look, every day at Advocate, as an example, I wake up, I fire up my dashboards, and I've got a pretty good idea of what's been going on lately. If there was one part of your day-to-day -day you could outsource completely and forget about, what would it be? Uh, Brian will probably kill me for saying this. Uh, I would say HR, uh, you know, compassion and empathy probably aren't two of my greatest skill sets. And, you know, dealing with the day-to-day -day HR, I find to be a bit of a challenge. I'm sure you are not the only, um, we, you know, we have a lot of CFOs who are as part of their um, remit in charge of HR as well. And I'm sure that you have a lot of sympathetic ears on that one what is the best advice you've ever received hire people smarter than you uh and, and i can promise you at overlay that's precisely what we've done uh it's fun to sit in the room and be the guy that doesn't know what's going on and i think again that's i have heard that from many cfos often it's the case as you said earlier um, a lot of CFOs end up in their position because maybe they're not the most um, precise accounting expert, for example. And so the best thing that they do and one of the first things that they do when they're put in that position is hire that real expert in accounting so that there's one thing that they really don't have to worry about and they can just exactly. focus on everything else. Yeah. Which other finance leaders do you talk to or learn from regularly? Look, it'll probably come as no surprise to you or most of your listeners. A significant portion of my professional and personal network comes from an accounting or finance private equity background. So I, I tend to find myself constantly surrounded by a group of, you know, quite incredible professionals who are, you know, constantly discussing trends, challenges, the next greatest things within the profession. Uh, I don't think a day would go by that I'm not speaking to somebody with a background similar to me. And I'm guessing that's also why you joined CFO Connect. You've got it, right? I mean, look, as we're seeking to, to grow this company and serve the company that I work in as best I can, it's important to stay on top of trends and to hear from a great community of peers. And 
you know, CFO Connect is exactly that. Very happy to hear that. Josh Beaver, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much, Patrick. CFO Year is brought to you by CFO Connect, the fastest growing global community for finance leaders. Join us for webinars and workshops, get our expert resources, and be a part of an exclusive Slack group just for CFOs. Join the community and exchange ideas with CFOs from the most exciting companies in the world. Just visit cfoconnect.eu.